about two months ago, I thought that I would be preaching on September the 2nd, I think that's what today is, <laughs> because Wade and Claire were going to a 70th wedding anniversary for his grandparents. That is not the case today. He probably is at that celebration this weekend, but he won't be coming back to Longview Point. We find ourselves in a, a place where we've never been before. You know, I've been told that when baby eaglets are at a point where they're about ready to fly, that, God, that uh, the parent eagles stir the nest. They remove some of the comfort of that nest in order that those eagles, eaglets learn to fly. You know, I genuinely believe that God is stirring our nest today because he is preparing us to soar. He's going to take us to another step of serving him as we seek to expand his kingdom across the street and around the world. I'm going to tell you a story this morning. Uh, it's a story about me and how absolutely stupid men can be sometimes. It's going to embarrass my wife, but you're going to enjoy it. When I lived in Tanzania, I had an opportunity to uh, hunt. If anybody doesn't like hunting, I'm sorry, but uh, that's, how we, that's the meat that we ate. We had an opportunity to go out and hunt. And so I went on a hunting trip one uh, day. I had a game guide with me and uh, another uh, fellow that worked at the, uh, in town. He wanted to go along just to experience it. Uh, I had a nice 7-millimeter magnum. Excellent gun. But we ran across a buffalo out on the plains, and a Cape buffalo weighed about 2,000 pounds, and the game guy says, shoot him. So, you know, this gun's not really big enough. I'm thinking that in my mind. Uh, but, you know, we figure we can do it anyway. So I shoot this buffalo. Now, this buffalo... Just trots on up the hill uh, in, in, into the woods on the top of a little mountain there. Uh, I mean, I know I've hit him, ran him off, but it didn't seem to phase him very much. So we left the vehicle and we trail this buffalo up through that little mountain. And in a little while, we see he's laid down in a brush a thicket. And so... You know anything about buffalo, if you shoot one and he does not go down, he'll run off. If he ever goes down, which he had just laid down because of the wound that he had, if he gets up, he becomes the hunter. So I take my wonderful 7-millimeter magnum and I put one more shot into that buffalo. He jumps straight up and heads just as straight for me as he possibly can come. 
Now, I stand firm. I bolt one more shell in. I don't have time to even raise it to my shoulder. I just shoot. He's still coming. The time for standing firm has gone. He's right here. I go this way. The game guy that was with me had a pistol. He realized long ago that that thing wasn't going to do him a bit of good. So he had already taken off. And I, as I run off to the left to try to get behind a tree, I run over that guy. He has stumbled and fallen, and I don't say, hello, can I help you or nothing. I just run right over him. And I get behind a tree. And I look up, and I left so close to that buffalo that he just kept going straight and on into the thicket on the other side of that, that little mountaintop. I hope you enjoyed that, because I came very close not being here today. But what I want you to understand is that in Philippians chapter 4 that we're going to talk about today, Paul is admonishing the Philippians to stand firm in the Lord. Now, I could stand pretty firm as long as that buffalo was a little distance. But when he got close and I had not taken him down, I couldn't stand firm. You know why? Because when I went out on that hunt, I did not have the proper equipment to hunt buffalo. Now, after that hunt, I went out and got a 458. <laughs> it shoots a big old slug. So what I want to do today is to give you a 458 for standing firm in the Lord. And it comes from the Word of God. So let's look at Philippians chapter 4. And if you are physically able... If you would, stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. My, my Bible has a break right after verse 1. So I said, let's start with verse 1. And in the first service, I started with verse 2, and I had to back up. So I'm going to get it right this time. We're going to start with verse 1. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for... My joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure and whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 
Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your great love for us. We thank you that you are ever at work in our lives to mold and shape us and use us for your glory. I pray now that as we engage your word, you will teach us, you will convict us, you will show us how we are indeed to stand in the Lord as you lead us through this phase of life. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for it all. And I pray it in the powerful, strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we think about chapter 4, I want to put it in the context of the whole book of Philippians. There are only four chapters in the book of Philippians, and Paul uh, was uh, dealing with with several things here, and each chapter kind of has a theme that we need to think about as we look at the final theme of chapter 4. In chapter 1, we see that Paul had a single mind because so much of our Christian life begins with our thoughts. It's, it's a, you know, we've got to, to uh, make sure that we understand and that we are thinking properly in order that we can move forward. And so, uh, first of all, Paul had a singular mind. And what I mean by that is if you go through there, Paul was not concerned about himself and his needs. He was concerned about Christ and the gospel. You'll find the gospel used throughout that first chapter and his, his uh, purpose was that Christ would be glorified and the gospel would be preached. And so he had a singular mind in the sense that his concern was for Christ and the gospel. In chapter 2, we find that he had a submissive mind. Here again, he's dealing with some disunity in the church. Uh, and uh, he, you know, people can rob us of our joy from time to time if we allow them to. We don't have to allow them to. But if we're not careful, we can. And so when people are ugly to us or they talk about us or we have some conflict, we need to have a submissive mind. In other words, a, a, a humble mind in order that we can deal with conflict and in order that we can trust God through it and we can bring resolution to the, the conflicts that we have. And so he had a single mind. He had a submissive mind. And in chapter 3, he had a spiritual mind. Uh, you know, so many of us get wrapped up in the things of the world, having possessions. But, but Paul, as he was writing this letter, he said, it's not about those things. It's about thinking about eternal things. It's thinking about things that are going to bring honor and glory to God. And so, uh, you know, I kind of think we, we've got the mindset of a spiritual mind here. And then in chapter 4, what we're going to look at today, uh, he has a secure mind. He says, stand firm in the Lord. And we can only have a secure mind that gives us the ability to trust God, walk in faith, and obey Him if we do these first things. We have a singular mind that is focused on honoring and glorifying God, that we have a submissive mind that gives us the ability to put away our pride and our rights and everything and be rightly related and get along with other people. And then thirdly, to have that spiritual mind where we're focused on not things, but eternal uh, things. And uh, we will be able to have a secure mind, walking in faith and trusting God. And so he gives us an admonition to stand firm in the Lord. Now, I think in the context of this verse, he gives us four principles or four resources, if you will, that allow us to be able to stand firm. 
You know, he, he gives us the 458, not the 7 millimeter magnum. And that's what the Word of God is. It's powerful. And so we want to learn today some of these things that Paul is saying in Philippians. First of all, we need to practice the presence of Christ. In verses 1 through 5, uh, he is encouraging us. Verse 5 says, the Lord is at hand. And all of these others, they kind of bounce off of that. They are, they are a part of that. Uh, but he gives us three admonitions in verses 1 through 5. The first admonition is, be of one mind in the Lord. You see, these two ladies undoubtedly were in conflict over something. We don't know exactly what it was, but they were differing on it. And so Paul is writing and encouraging them that they need to get along. They need to, get, they need to resolve their differences. He even encourages uh, someone in the church to help them in, in resolving those differences. Now keep in mind, these were wonderful ladies. They had ministered, uh, you know, he, he, go, he says there. uh Help these women, in verse 4, I mean 3, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. They've been laboring with Paul. They're fellow workers with him in the gospel. Uh, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now you say, believers, they don't ever disagree, do they? They don't have conflict. These are believers, folks. They are, they are members of the church that have a problem with each other. And Paul is saying we need, to, we need to move forward in unity. We need to resolve our differences. Now, I can tell you during this transition time uh, when we might be a little bit discouraged and we might be wondering what's going to happen, Satan is going to come in here and he's going to try everything that he can to bring disunity and disharmony in our midst. I can just guarantee it. But we need to understand that God gives us an admonition through Paul in Philippians here that we are to stand firm in unity, that we're to, to get along with each other. This does not mean that we compromise any conviction. It does not mean that, that uh, we have to agree in every case, but we, with our reasonableness, we are able to maintain our convictions but yet still love one another. You know, there's a lot of things that are going, we're going to disagree on. Well, why did that person get to serve on the pulpit committee? You know, what qualifies them? You really going to put that guy in front of us to preach this week? You know, there's all kinds of things that we can disagree on and we can have conflict about. But we're, not, we're going to stand firm and we are going to be of one mind in the Lord. And that's one of the beautiful things about Longview Point. I've been here 12 years now, and there has been unity in this body. And I want to commend you for that, and I want to challenge you that, that we, let's make sure that that continues. So the first admonition uh, in practicing the presence of Christ is be of one mind. The second admonition was rejoice in the Lord always. I, you know, I looked up that word always. You know what it means? It means Always. You know, it's pretty simple. It doesn't matter if things are going good or if they're going bad. It doesn't matter if you've got financial problems or you don't. It doesn't matter if you just lost your job or you didn't. It doesn't matter if you've got cancer or you don't. They're all real. And they're tough. But God says rejoice 
always. So unless we're practicing the presence of Christ, we can't rejoice. And one of the ways that we actually practice the presence is to rejoice in everything. We recognize that Jesus Christ is in our life. He's involved in every, all of the circumstances and events and these kind of things. You know, even back in Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about joy. What we need to understand is that as a believer, our joy does not exist in the realm of the physical. It doesn't exist in the realm of our circumstances. It exists at a level in which we believe God, we trust God, and regardless of circumstances, regardless of people around us, regardless of the physical things that we might have or have not, we're going to rejoice in the Lord because we know that He is good. We know that we can trust Him. And so we need to rejoice in the Lord always. And then <clears throat> the phrase that I've already mentioned, the admonition, he says, the Lord is at hand. This does not mean that God's on his way to help us or that he's coming at some later time. It means that God is at hand right now in this very moment and in every moment as a believer, he is there to help you walk through whatever circumstances of life you might be in the middle of. He's there to help Longview Point walk through this transition period as we search for his next man to lead this congregation. And so we need to practice the presence of Christ. Practicing the presence of Christ is seeing him in every situation of life and letting him work out his perfect will. You see, even in difficult circumstances of life, we still see the radical goodwill of God. Everything that God does is redemptive in nature. It's designed, His discipline is designed to draw us back into proper relationship with Him. His judgment is designed to show everyone that He is the one true God. His love is designed to encourage us and help us uh, know Him in a deeper and a richer way. Everything that He does is redemptive in nature. And we need to see Him in it. We need to practice the presence of Christ. Not only do we need to practice the presence of Christ, but we need to experience God's peace. Experience God's peace. Now, experiencing God's peace is always con is, is very conditional upon experiencing peace with God. You see, in Romans 5, 1, it says, Having been justified by Christ, you now have peace with God. You see, when you and I recognize that we are sinners and that sin has separated us from God, that we're at enmity with God and we need a Savior. We surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and by faith we embrace all that Jesus Christ has done for us and we're able to have peace with God. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has already done on the cross. But when we, we become justified and we have peace with God. And we can never have the, and experience the peace of God unless we first have peace with God. And that's to embrace Him as Lord and Savior. And receive the free gift of eternal life. We have peace with Him. And so, what we, the peace of, uh, in, in, in verse 7, it says this chapter 4. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. So we've got to have the peace of God in our lives in order that that we don't become frustrated, that we don't become worried, that we don't become anxious, that we are able to have unity and harmony in our our midst. And so when, when we experience this, we are able to, to have the peace of God. So we have certain conditions that are laid out in this text that we need to meet if we're indeed going to experience the peace of God. So we have peace with God. Now, how are we going to live our lives in such a way that we have and experience the, the peace of God? Well, I think there's several things that, that we see here. The first is biblical praying. Uh, look in, in verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. You see, the first condition that we need to meet in order to experience the peace of God is biblical praying. You know, biblical praying is not just running before God in our time of need and saying, Lord, help. Sometimes that's what, you know, sometimes it is if we come with the right and appropriate attitude, but most of the time it's for our own selfish gain. That's not what biblical praying is. Biblical praying always begins with adoration or worship. We come into the presence of God and we just adore Him for who He is, for all that He's done, for His very nature, and we worship Him. And out of that worship then flows the ability uh, to, secondly being supplication, we have the ability to just to open up our hearts and share with him exactly what's on our hearts, what our needs are. And we can be genuine with him because he does desire to know those things that we need. He desires to know the things that we're struggling with. And so we need to be biblically praying. It begins with adoration. It continues with supplication that flows out of a genuine worship and recognition of who he is. And then it ends with thanksgiving a recognition that we need to give thanks for all that God has done, all that he will do, and all that he has provided for us. And so we we need to have biblical praying, adoration, supplication, and thanksgiving. And then we need to have biblical thinking. See, he he goes on in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any worthy of praise, think about these things. He goes through a a long list here. Whatever is true. What's true? God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, His Word. It's truth. Those are the things we need to think of. We need to meditate on and dwell on. Whatever is honorable, those are things that are worthy of respect. Whatever is just, what is right, whatever is pure, morally clean and undefiled. Whatever is commendable, highly regarded. If there is any excellent, those things that are pleasant to hear about. If there is anything worthy of praise, what is generally considered reputable in the world. Such as kindness, courtesy, respect. See, these are the kinds of things that we need to be thinking about. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as he thinketh, so he is. You know, we need to be very careful about our spiritual diet. These characteristics that we're just talking about here, 
If you watch your TV, you won't be thinking about many of these. If you look at the billboards, you won't be thinking about many of these. You see, we got to be careful what we feed, you know, what we take in in our spiritual diet. These are the things that we need to be thinking about. We need to be, be biblically thinking. Now, remember this. I did not say positive thinking. You know, there's a big culture out there that says, man, if you just think positively, all of these wonderful things are going to happen. Well, you can think positively about the wrong thing, and all you're thinking about is the wrong thing. Things that don't honor God. Besides that, if you're really going to be thinking about truth, you know, if they persecuted Christ, do you think they might not persecute you? I think the Bible says something about you will have trial and tribulation in life. You see, we need to be thinking with a biblical worldview and not the worldview of our culture. Will a, a, a God of love really allow all of these bad things to happen to good people? Bad things happen to good people not because God is not a God of love, but because people have sinned against God and we live in a cursed world. So we need to think biblically. So we need to uh, have biblical praying, biblical thinking, and then he goes on to say biblical living. Look in uh, verse 9. Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. You see, it's not enough just to use the Bible as a basis for praying and claiming its promises, but we must also use it as a basis for moral and righteous living. Paul says, the way that you've seen me live, you live. Because I'm modeling my life after Jesus Christ. He's not trying to put himself on a pedestal or anything like that because he's given us clear indication that, that he is following the pattern of Jesus Christ. But if, if we are going to truly experience the peace of God, then, then we need to follow these principles of biblical praying, biblical thinking, and biblical living. Seeking to, you know, pursuing holiness in our lives. If you read in James chapter 4, you find that the consequences of, of, of not praying biblically, you know, praying with wrong motives, or asking, you know, not having because you ask not. If, if you, uh, you know, wrong thinking and wrong praying and wrong living, all of these things lead to war. We don't get along with each other. There's a, there, that, that battle between the flesh and the spirit is, is, is real. But we need to understand that we need to utilize biblical living. So we need to practice the presence of God. We need to experience God's peace. And then thirdly, we need to claim God's power. Man, when I try to do things in my own strength, I mess it up every time. And we need God's power in our life. We as a believer, if you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You have the power of God available to you at any given moment. We simply need to claim God's power. 
You know, we are able to be content in all circumstances through the power in Christ. This is what Paul says in, in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, he has learned to be content whether he's got a little bit or whether he's got a lot, whether he's healthy or unhealthy, whether he's in jail or whether he's free. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. His joy is not conditional upon his circumstances. It's, it's based on the reality that Jesus Christ is active in his life. He has the power to be content because he's surrendered to the lordship of Christ and God is at work. And so... When we claim the power of God, God uses us. But we need to understand that before God ever works through us, He must first work in us. You see, there's a molding, shaping, equipping process that must take place in order for God to most effectively use us. doesn't mean He can't use us at various stages throughout there. But what I'm saying is that there, He's got to be at work in us. Now, how does God work in us? He works in us through His Word. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, it says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. You see, when I read the word of God, there's a constant working in my life. Sometimes it's to grow me in my biblical knowledge. An, an understanding of God and who He is. Sometimes it's conviction of a sin that I need to deal with. Sometimes it's a command that I need to follow. Uh, I need to get right with a fellow man, or I need to share the gospel more often, or I need to, to love my wife like Christ loved the church. I need to grow in this area, that area. But the, the Word of God, when we engage it, it is constantly active to work in us in order that God can work through us. And so He works in us through the Word. And then he works through prayer by the Spirit. Uh, over in Ephesians 2. Verse 14 and following, down through 22, there's a section there. But in verse 14 he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. If you go on to verse 17, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You see... He works in us through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who indwells us. We have access to the Father. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us with the Father even when we don't know how to pray. The Holy Spirit is constantly active. He is working in us to grow us and to, to teach us and to mold and shape us into the image of Christ. And so as we, you know, we have access to God through the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and He is working. And so we're, we're able to communicate with God. We're able to learn from God. We're able to hear from God. And so He works through us through His Word. He works through prayer, uh, through the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, sometimes He works through suffering. Now, we don't like to hear that. But if we're going to have biblical thinking, then we've got to understand that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are going to be persecuted. We're going to experience suffering because we live in a fallen world because of the sin of man. And so 
in 1 Peter 5.10, it says, After you have suffered a little while, while the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So he uses those times of suffering in our lives to grow us, to strengthen us, to, to give us his power in order that he works in us and then has the capacity to work through us to accomplish his purposes. So we need to practice the presence of Christ. We need to experience God's peace. We need to claim the power of God. And then fourth and last in terms of the principles that I see here, the 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 resources that God gives us in order that we stand firm in the Lord is to trust God's provision. <clears throat> in this last section of chapter 4, Paul is he's thanking the Philippians for their contribution to him. They had, they had partnered with him early on, and then they didn't have opportunity for a while, but now they have, he have given to him again. Paul makes it very clear in this passage that as he commends them, it's not simply because he needed a gift, but because their gift is, is, uh, is special uh, to him because it brings glory to God. You see, our gifts are looked upon as spiritual sacrifices to the Lord that rejoice his heart. See, verse 18, let me get back to... I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You see, when we serve others, it's a sacrifice that's pleasing and acceptable to God. And then what, we've, what we see in this is that Paul has received this gift and then he gives them a promise. He says in verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, we can depend on God to supply our every need for his glory in Christ. We're all familiar with Romans uh, you know, 8.28. For all things work together to good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. You see, we can trust God's provision. God has faithfully met our needs throughout the history of Longview Point. Tremendous amounts of money have been given because of the blessing of God. Not only to the ongoing work of this church, but to, to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that supports international missions, North American missions, church planting, all kinds of things. God has met our need. Every time we set a goal, it just He meets He, he makes it possible for us to meet that goal. We have wonderful leaders of our connect groups and leading our preschoolers and children and youth. God just meets, <coughs> excuse me, meets every need that we have. And he will continue to meet our need. My God will supply 
every need of yours. We can claim that promise as we move forward. He is going to supply us with another man, his man, to lead this congregation. And we need to be praying that indeed we, we look for his man. So, Paul challenged the Philippians to stand firm. We're at a time in our history where, of course, we should stand firm at all times, but we really need to stand firm right now because we have the potential for disruption to enter in during this transition time. But if we're going to stand firm, God has given us resources that are available to us. He has given us His presence. He's with us. He's promised never to forsake us. So we need to practice the presence of God. Secondly, He's given us His peace. We have peace. We have peace with God, and He has promised to give us the peace of God, which will guard our hearts and help us know Him and seek Him and serve Him. And then we need to claim His power. It's available. We simply need to claim it. And then we need to trust His provision. He has proved Himself faithful, and we can trust Him. I can assure you of that. So, let me leave the, the point of it all. Any believer who fully trusts God and uses the resources He provides will be able to stand firm in the Lord, whatever life throws at you. We don't have to worry about it. God will see us through it. He will give us everything that we need to take us through that time.